0: The human podcast features weekly service audio from the Unitarian Universalist Metro Atlanta North Congregation of Roswell, Georgia. Please visit us at human.org.
1: Assume for a moment that one has no idea how the succession from VP to president to past president takes place. Could you please explain how these positions begin and end?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, I've learned that you know, each each congregation can choose how you know what their governance looks like, and so for for human, we have a, a six member board, and um, and so that includes the vice president, the president, the past president, and it also includes the secretary, a treasurer, and the special projects uh, trustee. So. The the way that that human has determined what this looks like for the vice president, president and past president is to ensure some level of consistency across boards. So what that looks like is that uh, is that someone is nominated uh, to be the vice president. And um, and that person knows by looking at the job description that that is a three year obligation, not the role of vice president, but being on the board. And so the first year is uh, you serve as the vice president and that gives you an opportunity to learn the ropes from the current president and also the past president and then uh and then you move in your second year to be the president so you've now seen one and then you do one and then after the year of being president you get to teach one as past president Um, so it's uh it is a three-year commitment it is the longest well i guess it it matches the, um, the special projects chair in terms of length of term. Uh, the special projects chair is one year at a time that can be renewed three up to, you know, so that they have three years. But it does it does provide for a nice level of consistency across and to make sure that uh, that the you know that those three roles, the vice President, the president, the past president, feel supported um, by others in that role.
1: So, what was it that prompted you to take on that responsibility by running for uh, VP back in? I guess that'd be 2021.
0: That's right. Uh, it was funny. So i um, I've been interested in some of the leadership courses that the UUA um, broadly and the Southern Region of the UUA um, more specifically have been offering over the last few years. Um, they've got. Uh, there's a just, I mean, some phenomenal resources um on a UU Leader Lab webpage. Um and uh and I believe um so Jennifer Ratcliffe, who was the vice president at the time, um uh was offering a course um uh in 2020 early 2021, I guess, um that was, I believe it was called Leadership 101. And um and I, I thought, you know, I, I looked at the, at the syllabus, I thought it looked interesting, wanted to learn more about, you know, uh, just um, governance in general. And, um, and so I took this class with, um, so it was Jennifer Ratcliffe, Amanda Brawley and I, and, um, and had great conversations. We would watch the videos on our own and then we would come to discuss and um, and then at some point, uh, you know, we had conversations about the various leadership posi- positions that we would had at human and, you know, and what things would be of interest to us. And, you know, I um, I'm one that uh, I enjoy knowing um, sort of what's what's happening around human I've enjoyed that from a number of different perspectives, um, you know, from the program council, um, uh, you know, from uh, being part of the RE team uh, in the past, um, certainly through the Our Whole Lives curriculum. And um, and so I wanted that experience as a member of the board. And so I threw my name in the in the ring and and lo and behold,
1: (laughs) the rest is history.
0: As they say, yes.
1: Having been unchurched, uh, what was your love-hate relationship? Go on, just tell me what what your impressions were of religious institutions prior to you know joining this one.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, I had not really heard unchurched before um, before we came too human and were taking the UU 101 class, I believe. And, and there were other people who were describing themselves as unchurched. So, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't hear it often, but it made sense for, I guess, what Johns and my um, experience had been as adults. Um, So for me, um, I was, I was raised Catholic. Um, I went to Catholic school for my first Five years of elementary school. And we, um, you know, we went to church um, every Sunday for a long time um, until my dad started working uh, in other cities. And so my mom was, for all intents and purposes, operating as a single parent, um, trying to keep the house together and raise my brother and I. so at that point, we became more of the Christmas and Easter type Catholics, uh, attending just the two services a year. Um, but I, you know, I really, I, I did go through um, the Sacrament of Confirmation when I was 13. But after that, and, and leading up to it, I would say I had a lot of questions about Catholicism that um, either I didn't get answers to, or the answers I got were um, either insufficient or in conflict with um, with what I was beginning to believe. Um, I I didn't like that there were no women in real leadership. Um, there were nuns, of course, um, but there was a place for women and a place. For um, for men, and it was real clear who the leaders were. Um, I uh, I didn't agree with their stance on divorce, with their stance on abortion, um, and and I you know I just you know it seemed real interesting why we had to believe this you know what was coming from this one text, right? So here's this Bible these are the stories and we don't question them. Um, so, you know, that was all in my childhood. Um, once I became an adult, went away to college, et cetera, you know, I continued to question, but never really, um, uh, you know, I didn't attend church or other sort of um, religious or spiritual services in college and, um, and in my twenties, et cetera, We, um, we lived out in the Pacific Northwest, um, both in Seattle and Olympia, Washington, uh, for a number of years, had our kids out there and, um, you know, and found that it was really quite easy to meet people who, who shared similar values to us. Um, they were, that was really more the majority of the people. So we didn't have to look too hard when we met or when we, when John, um, uh, got a new position that required that we move um, closer to home, which was great. Uh, we knew that it wouldn't necessarily be as easy to find, uh, you know, to find our our people, our tribe, and so um, so we <laughs> we went. Um, I think John went onto some website, you know, like what religion are we, and uh, asked some good questions, and it came out pretty definitively that we might want to look into Unitarian universalism. And uh, so we, um, you know, we went to human, we knew that there were a couple of other congregations close enough by, but we felt so welcomed when we, when we came to human that, um, that we, you know, we decided that this is where we wanted to keep exploring and and wound up becoming members here.
1: And this is just, one of those socio political speculation questions, but um, you've taught uh, our whole lives, OWL, and your commitment to our whole lives make, makes you as qualified as anyone I know to judge whether you feel there's any reason for optimism regarding Georgia's public schools' current approach to what's called sex education. Or thought of another way is OWL something parents should perhaps consider as an antidote? to what's taught typically in our public schools?
0: Mm, yeah, this is a great question. Um, you know, I um, I had no idea about our whole lives until, I mean, we we had been at Uman, uh maybe six months, um, maybe even less, when we started hearing about the next round of our whole lives that was going to be for children who were aged older than our children were at the time. So as I learned more about OWL, I just, I was so excited um, and thought it was so very important to be made available for for children. Um, And so excited, in fact, that yes, I um, received the training to become an OWL facilitator for our youngest kids that they offer the curriculum for. So kindergarten and first grade and fourth and fifth grade. Um, so our children um, who are now 15 and 13 have um, have gone through multiple iterations of the OWL curriculum at Human. And they also um, uh, received the uh, public education version of sex education. So I... Um, I was very curious to hear what they would come home from school with about what they learned or didn't learn. And, you know, it was very much an abstinence based education, that abstinence really is the only approach that children should consider. Um, They, uh, their condoms were mentioned. So that was, um, that kind of surprised me, because usually condoms aren't, part of an abstinence type of, um, of approach. Uh, but, you know, there were, there were several things that I think that, that our children um, found really curious um, when they went to the public school version of the sex ed. One was that they separated the boys from the girls, that there is only, you know, there are only boys and girls, two gender ways of, you know, identifying gender um and um and so they questioned you know well where where would someone who identifies as as transgender go and and it didn't seem fair to them that um that people were put into this um, possible predicament of having to choose one gender or another as opposed to considering it as a spectrum um and they also they also continue to find it um uh I guess, um just awkward that uh, that boys don't get the kind of learning about about menstruation and pregnancy that girls do um, that it's it's a real disservice that they don't understand about, you know, what periods are really like, and that there are all these different ways of being able to. Um, to manage menstrual flow um, each cycle, et cetera, and you know, and similarly, that girls didn't get the opportunity to to talk about uh, erections and to talk about condoms, and um, and so you know, what I've seen is that they are just so comfortable in being able to talk about sexuality and sexual sexuality education because of their experience. At Human and the our whole lives curriculum, not because of the public school sex ed class. I wish that that adults um, outside of you know either the um, UCC or um, uh, the Church of Christ or um, Unitarian Universalist would would be more generally open to this kind of sexuality education that so that it could be offered more broadly in the community.
1: Right. I mean, I I'm, I'm, would think that there would be some just speculating irresponsibly here. I would think that there are certainly some liberal congregations you hear about, like, you know, I've got a sister who belongs to a very liberal um, congr- uh, Presbyterian congregation. And I'm sure that there are some Methodist congregations that probably would like to offer something like that. And maybe they do, uh, but it's not something that is part of the official denomination. so. Yeah, one one would hope, but uh, you know, all we can do is try to lead by example, I guess. Right. Okay. Is there anything about your professional experience that served you particularly well as you've worked at your various positions here at Human?
0: Yeah. So, um, so my um, my area of work is in public health, and um, and I have um, so yes, I would say that. There are many things about my profession that I think have helped um, in in the kind of work that I do at human. Um, so um, one, one is that I am in meetings all day. <laughs> and so I, I know how to participate in meetings. I know how to run meetings. Um, I, um, I really don't like taking notes. I don't ever see myself as being a board secretary (laughs) and we're all going to be better for it. Um, uh, but I understand the importance of taking notes, um, and putting them in a place where other people can find them. Um, so, uh, I also am very comfortable with zoom. Um, you know, we, many of us are a lot more comfortable with zoom now since we've, um, you know, been uh, in a COVID and slightly post-COVID world for several years. Um, and I guess, you know, also thinking about the pandemic, I think my, um, you know, my public health world obviously was um, very much at the forefront of people's minds uh, during COVID. And, and so it was, um, I would say that, uh, when I was um, both vice president and president, um, it was uh, it was very um, easy for me to take a look at the data and um, and make our de- you know both create a COVID policy um, that had been started by our COVID task force, um, but also to um, to to take a look at the data and determine. From the perspective of science, where we should be as a congregation, um, and for masking, and when to return to 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 service, when to step away, et cetera. So, um, so that I I felt very comfortable with. Um, and then, you know, I think the other part that, um, that I do every day in public health is is thinking about um, our various partners that need to be at the table for a particular conversation that we need to make sure that we have multiple perspectives heard so that we can get to the best decision for the whole you know for the good of the whole and i think that way you know that um that translates really well into the work that we do here at human, where, you know, we may not be fast in our decision making processes. But that is because we want to make sure that we have all of the perspectives at the table that need to be so that people feel as though they have been heard, because they have been heard. And, um, and so I, I think, that is you know that is ultimately more important than getting to a decision quickly
1: beyond that was there anything that you would have liked to have covered that we didn't um and nope is a perfectly acceptable answer
0: yeah not that comes to mind right now
1: cool the unitarian universalist metro atlanta north congregation of roswell georgia thanks you for listening to the human podcast Background music courtesy of Tim Moore from Pixabay.